Please be seated. I think Marianne just angered hell this morning. And we like that. That would be the perfect culmination to a week of, I believe, this church angering hell this week. So this has been uh, just a profound opportunity for so many in the body of Christ. We thank you so much for your prayers to cover all the facets. I mean, there was just a hodgepodge of things that went on in the body of Christ this week as it relates to faith church. And so uh, Pastor Ben did an excellent job recapping so many of the things. Um, you need to hear the stories from the people that were involved. If you know somebody that was at the job fair this week, ask them about their experience. What was so amazing to me was that um, we didn't just host a function. It's easy for us to get into function mode and we do functions well. And so what the, the, the structure of this event was is to release God's people to be the body of Christ to people who don't know him, to have the best opportunity to shine a light so bright that it catches people off guard while they're seeking a job or while they're seeking an employee. If you're one of the, the companies that came. To be caught off guard with the light of Jesus Christ and our people showed up, they represented very, very well. And uh, prayers are happening. Pastor Ben had said when we were in a kind of a powwow recap uh, the day of the event, he said, because he knew a lot of the personal stories that were going on in the lives of some of our own faithers and even some of the people walking through the door. And he said, you have no idea how big this was. Um, we do these things for several reasons. We do them because, like I said, we want to shine the light of Jesus Christ in the areas that are darkest. You know, in the, in the areas of our responsibilities that are dark, we are called to shine a light. We said last week that the, um, that evangelism, if you will, that is sharing the, the love of Jesus Christ with a lost and dying world is taking somebody as far as they're willing to go towards Jesus Christ. And so these opportunities are steps in that direction. They aren't the all-consuming efforts of our evangelism. And so folks come out and they shine that light in order to, to intentionally be a, a beacon for people that are coming through the doors. But another thing happens along the way, that the body of Christ starts doing this. It starts knitting together. And it starts tightening up and it starts communicating and fellowshipping and, and doing the things that the church should do, but is often difficult to pull off. I mean, we're people. And people, while we're being transformed by the glory of God over time, we'll talk about this in a minute when we get to our text, but we're still humans, right? Which still means we've got our own preferences, our own wishes, our own evaluations of the situation. And sometimes we need this kind of shaking, rattling of our cage that says you belong to a kingdom. And that kingdom is requiring you to step in and to step up and to bear the burdens of your brothers and sisters and work side by side. And all that kind of thing happens. And so those of us in a leadership standpoint at Faith, we get really excited for all the relationship stuff that we see that's building. So we want to be a testimony to the lost. We prayed with people and over people. We, we prayed with the companies. They applauded after we prayed. They were like, yay, let's get going. I'm like, how are you not offended? But they knew what they were walking into. They're doing a job fair at a church. What'd they expect? They were probably surprised they didn't have a white collar. <laughs> so, so it was just a great environment and it was a great thing. But all the things that the Lord does through events like this are very, very powerful. That's why we want to, um, 
continue to provide them and participate in them. And the thing that happened with the youth group uh, this week and last night in particular uh, is, is, is bigger than we can even quantify. Uh, is really incredible. Those of you that maybe have grown up in a, an environment going through a youth group that encouraged you to share your faith, to get out of your comfort zone. I mean, we think it's difficult, you know, as, as adults to do that. And then it's even, I think, even more difficult for teens to be in that cultural context, to be that light and that beacon. And yet here they are. And faith is blessed. I mean, really, really blessed with some solid teens and some kids that really care about representing their Lord and Savior very well. And so we get to send them out and do that sort of thing, and they represent that very well. It was um, hosted and led. Pastor Gary put all the elements of it together and had a great team of people helping. But we also had, um, I'm sorry, another one of my family members. Uh, his name's Eric Brown, and he's a director of uh, um, the Word of Life mission and ministry in our area here, I think for all of New England. And uh, you, you guys might go, ah, Eric so, sort of sounds familiar. He attends with us when he's not speaking in other churches. But some of you will remember he had like that golden Steve Green kind of voice. He sang communion a few months ago, and I haven't heard the end of it. People are like, guy that has to sing all the time. He's really good. But I'm like, he's not around. He's busy. But he is, he is awesome, and he helped us uh, put this whole thing together and um and was really a great voice and a motivating force and a factor in that. So all of these things come together by the body being the body. And and what we're in it for is to share a new life with people who need it desperately. And this brings us to our time this morning in the scriptures because a man named Nicodemus approaches Jesus. This is back in the Gospel of John. It's recorded from what I'll be referencing. And a man named Nicodemus comes to Jesus and and he and he and he sneaks in at night. And 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 we should we should know everything we need to know about Nicodemus's attitude about what he's doing based on the fact that he came in the evening after the crowds had settled after people weren't looking because Nicodemus was a leader. He was a teacher of religious law. He was seen as a pillar in the community. He was a force to be reckoned with. So he like a little cartoon you let he sneaks in behind a bush. Psst, hey Jesus. I know what you're doing is from God. I know rabbi, teacher, this high compliment he gives them in their field, that's like the highest compliment. I know that you're from God. No one could do the things that you're doing unless God were with him. And he stops there. And 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 most of us would say, okay, I can kind of relate to Nicodemus's experience here because maybe you came to Christ a little bit like from a distance, maybe warming your hands from the fire like this. I don't know if I want all in yet. Nicodemus had a lot to lose. Maybe some of you have come from a background where you had a lot to lose. If I follow him, they give up on me. If I follow him, they ditch me. They move on. So Nicodemus had all these things weighing down on him. It's easy for, for me to look at this, this scripture and go, what a wimp, what a coward. Why wouldn't he just come to Jesus and say, I, I need you. Uh, I'll give all of this up. I don't care if they throw tomatoes at me the next time I try to teach anything. But, but we can relate to this. So many people have come to Jesus kind of in the bushes. Hey, let me test this out. What's interesting about Jesus' response is he doesn't take the compliment. He's not flattered by it. He addresses Nicodemus the way that he knows he needs to be addressed, as Jesus always does. He says, you need to be born again. 
Now, you and I have heard the phrase born again for a long time. We're accustomed to that kind of language. And we remember the days when it was like, oh, there was one of those born again people or the Jesus people or something. That's all kind of common cultural expression for us. But for Nicodemus, who's been teaching a certain thing, who knows his what, what would be his Bible, but for, our, for us, the Old Testament, he knows it so well that he scratches his head going, I don't remember seeing that in any of the scriptures I'm talking about. I just got done saying he is from God, the works he's doing from God, and he's throwing this weird statement at me, you must be born again. How am I supposed to do this? Am I supposed to crawl back in? Am I supposed to start this whole thing over? I don't get it. Jesus says, unless you are born of water and the spirit, you can't see the kingdom of God. Being a scholar of the word, being uh, someone who's acquainted and, and used to teaching these kinds of things, he might have caught Jesus' possible reference going back to Ezekiel where God promises, I will sprinkle and cleanse you with the water of truth. My spirit will take up residence within you. I will give you a new heart. This is the promise that God was was leaking out in a sense. He was prophesying to his people that I am going to be so personal to you that all this external stuff is going to be a thing that is going to be within you. Jesus says you have to be born of water and the spirit. You know this. Can I call you Nikki? Nicodemus, you know this because you've been teaching it. You just didn't see me in it. You had a very limited view of what you were reading. You had a very limited perspective of what you were teaching. So therefore, Nikki, you need to be born again. We need to start this whole thing over. Let me just read a few how how this kind of the story kind of wraps up here. Verse nine of John chapter three says Nicodemus said to him, well, how can these things be? Jesus said, are you the teacher of Israel and yet you not, you do not understand these things? Now, again, I record, I relate to Nicodemus. There's a lot of things I see in the scripture. I'm like, well, I didn't see that before. But Nicodemus has built a whole career and reputation out of these things. And Jesus is like, how are you the teacher? You don't see this? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we've seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I told you earthly things and you don't believe them, how can I, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one's ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the son of man. That's me, Nikki. Look, you're beholding him. And as Moses lifted up the servant in the wilderness, so must the son of man be lifted up that whoever, whosoever believes in him may have eternal life. And then this leads to our most famous passage of scripture or scripture verse, I should say, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Nicodemus only could see Jesus with the eyes he had been given. Paul in our text, when we get to second Corinthians five is going to help us understand he had the same mindset as Nicodemus before he became Paul. When he was Saul, his old self and his original uh, parent given name, he had a limited perspective on how he looked at Jesus as well. 
And Jesus had to say the same exact thing to Paul, basically, as he said to Nicodemus, which is you must be born again until you are born of water and of spirit. You can't see the kingdom of God. You're only using the perspective that you have. So Paul is going to admit he had a very Nicodemus frame of mind in our passage this morning. Well, as we go to 2 Corinthians 5, we're going to back up for just a couple of verses because it sets the table for us. We we discussed these last week, but it walks us into the point that he's going to make for us. Verse 14, for the love of Christ controls us. Remember, we discussed that as we are constrained by the love for God above all things, and then it's poured out in our love for others, that that's the kind of control we should be welcoming in our life. That this idea of uh, my freedom is in how I love myself and therefore interpret the world based on what I need. That's, that's, it's, it's a cancer. It's a dead end. It's a shackle on our hearts. And so we have been freed to be controlled by love is the strange way that we kind of looked at that last week. He says, because we've concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. That's Jesus was our representative. When he went to the cross for us, he took our sins with us and died on our behalf, but also died our death. Verse 15, and he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. So where does this freedom, where does this control of love point us towards? To live and love for others as we do so for him. So here's Paul's admission. We get to verse 16. This is our new part of our text this morning. He says, so from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. It's a strange way of saying, but he's he's saying, I don't see the flesh on other people anymore. I don't esteem that as the most important, or I don't value that as the most important thing. I regard, or we regard, he's hoping they're coming along with him. We, right, Corinthians? I'm reminding you, we've got a new set of eyes here. He says, therefore, we no longer regard anyone according to the flesh, even though, here's his admission, Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Remember what Jesus says to Nicodemus, when you're born of flesh, you're flesh. When you're born of spirit, you're spirit. Well, Saul was born in his flesh, a studied religious zealot, was so convinced that what he was doing was for the kingdom of God. Even Jesus' father he thought, that's the God I'm serving. I'm protecting his glory. I'm protecting his, his, um, his mission, his, his law, everything by getting rid of these wackos who are, who are following a man who died on a tree. See, Paul knew some stuff. He knew his Bible. He knew that Deuteronomy says, if anyone dies on a tree, they're cursed by God. So that's blowing his mind. He's going, you guys think this is your savior? His own father, who he claims to be the son of, said if anybody dies on a tree, he's cursed. And you're following him? Paul saw with, Saul saw with Saul's eyes what was very obvious in front of him. This is the recognition that you and I need to have is that we have all had a Nicodemus and a Saul experience that we've regarded things according to the flesh because it's all we ever had to draw on until... We were born in the spirit. This is where new life is required. But it's difficult for us 
to see that. It's difficult for us sometimes to leave that behind because we are in a, a cosmetic uh, culture. If we can just cover up the outside, if Nicodemus can just sneak up to Jesus and say, hey, I want to find out if you're for real. I just don't want to give up all of this yet. So if we could work out a deal or I could add a little Jesus in my experience, maybe I could say the same message you're saying or see some of the same miracles you're seeing, but I don't want to walk away from everything I'm teaching. I mean, I've got it going pretty good here. You see, a, a, a cosmetic or a putting lipstick on a pig kind of culture, we, we take that as, well, that's relatable. I can understand that. Paul says, I don't do this anymore. I, I don't evaluate these things according to the flesh. I don't regard the, the world of the flesh anymore. The irony here is that, that Paul is being judged by the Corinthian believers the same way he judged Christ. You see, he, he mocked and, and, and cursed and persecuted the cause of Jesus Christ because he saw it as weak. He saw it as cursed. He saw it as, as feeble. What are they saying about Paul and his apostleship? You, you haven't been, you haven't been impressing us at all, Paul. You seem to be getting uh, kicked around by life. You seem to be suffering a great deal. And yet we're supposed to be holding you up as our great leader, the apostle Paul. He says, I've been down that road before. I used to see everything according to what my flesh could perceive, what I could understand and take in. I'm telling you, we don't do that anymore. And he's reminding them, you're heading down a dangerous road if you continue to regard the flesh above all other things. He emphasizes this same thing, gets a little tough here in Ephesians 2. He's telling the church there, he says, we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. We have to admit that before we came to Christ, this is all we had. He says, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we and were by nature the children of wrath like the rest of mankind. No, no, Paul, I want you to think I was just misguided or I was some kind of misfit. Like, like Nicodemus wanted to just be the type of person who was just missing a few pieces. I, I've got all this religious training. I've got all the heart. I've got all the want to. I care about the things of God. And Jesus says, nope, you've got to start over. You've got to be born again. Well, wait, what's everything I had brought to the table? Nope, born again. The, you're, you're needing a work in your heart that only I can do. You've been trying to do your own thing. So all the things that you've done, all the, the pile that you've accomplished and everything, it's all been by your own efforts. It's all been for your own glory. It's all been for your own prestige and comfort. No, no. Let's start this thing over. You need to be born again. So Paul says that's because by nature, when we're born in our flesh, we're children of wrath. Well, I don't feel very wrathful. I didn't feel like I was walking around shaking my fist at God. Now, some do. Some wear it on their sleeve. And they give you a real hard time about the God you serve. And they're angry at him. But they're seeing things with the eyes of flesh that they've been given. Some are a little more subtle about it. Some are just, ah, I don't really have time for that. Some of the teens got some of that response yesterday. I don't do the whole church thing. Wham. And so that starts to, that starts to uh, reveal itself. But we're not just misguided. We're not just missing a few pieces. We are children of wrath when we are born in the flesh. I like how Ferguson puts it. He says, there could be no more serious delusion for us to suffer from 
therefore, than that we are naturally his children. We say this so often. We're, we're all God's children. Rather, we need to become the children of God. Nicodemus, you need to be born again. You see, we make up our minds according to our limited perspective. We obsess about the things that we can weigh out as humans. I know what this person looks like. It either pleases me or it doesn't please me. I, there are personalities in my world and in my friendships and in my context that I like, that I, that I move towards, or there are some that I dismiss, that I appreciate someone's outward success or I'm disappointed by their outward failure. We have a tendency to regard, to use Paul's word, to esteem or to value things based on the things that we can see, feel, smell, and touch. All of those things are regarding the flesh. But what the power of the gospel enables us to do is to be done with these carnal distinctions. That's what Paul had said to us in our previous passage. He said, because Christ died for us all, we no longer have to. We sometimes do, but we no longer have to live for ourselves. In fact, the expectation and the, and the progress and the vision uh, or the visual aspect of being a child of God and no longer being a child of wrath is that we start to show more and more fruit of living for others more than ourselves. That it should be apparent, that it should be a process that's growing in your life. Now, I want us to imagine if we, the, the kind of impact that we could have on the people around us if we started seeing them beyond what they're only what their flesh can present. Did you use that dramatic pause wisely? All right. Because I really needed that drink. You think about this. If I'm born in my flesh and that's the only resource I have, all I can do is present to you what I want you to see, what I hope you notice. That's what Nicodemus was presenting to Jesus. He walks up and he says, Hey, you're really good at what you do. There's, it's gotta be God. And he's like kind of gushing on him and talking about it. And Jesus is like, just stop there. You need to be born again. Now, I'm not saying we go around and be offensive and cut to the heart and everything. I mean, Jesus knew what he was doing. He always got to the heart of the issue. They sought him out for a reason. But can you imagine the impact we start having on people if as they're presenting these things, we're thinking, Lord, what's really going on in their life? Lord, what's really being asked of me right now? What's really being required of me and how I enter into their circumstances? Do I, do I just evaluate everything I see and everything I can make sense of and, and kind of feel a little perturbed by it or put out or inconvenienced or, or inadequate or any of those things? Where is the reliance on the spirit that lives within us when people are presenting what their flesh can present? Now, let's get a little more practical with this. Imagine what happens to an entire industry that's making billions of dollars if we start thinking every, about everyone's flesh. Now, I know that that's just one aspect of what we're talking about here, but can you imagine if, if, if consumers of flesh regard started saying, you know what, <clears throat> that person is somebody that Jesus died for and wants to live inside of. Instead of consuming that person for the things that I regard and I esteem and I, and I need for my own existence that I might say, you know what, Lord, you've given me new eyes to see beyond just what is this presentation of the flesh. 
You see, this starts to solve our issues. It starts to fix our circumstances. It starts to give us hope that there's perhaps a better way to do this, but it's not going to happen by our own efforts. Nicodemus would have been fine. Jesus would have said, no, you're, you're actually doing pretty good. You're all set here. He said, no, no, every good thing you've done has been in your flesh, so you need to be born again. Cosmetic repair doesn't cut it. We need to, as children of God, as as no longer children of wrath, we need to stop evaluating people based on our consumer mindset, based on what they can bring to our lives. But that the call of Jesus Christ is that we would start evaluating people based on what the, the eyes of the Spirit are revealing to us, what they need from us. This is what Paul is saying. Because Christ died for us, we no longer have to hold these things up based on what we can see now we get a little bit better picture when we get to verse 17 it says therefore if anyone is in christ he is a new creation i mean how new is this we have been robotically living and regarding things by the flesh since we were born but he says the old has passed away Behold, the new has come. If we start to understand that our eyes have been opened, that we no longer enslave to seeing things based on what our flesh can comprehend, that we trust in a voice that nobody else hears, that we, that we obey a truth that nobody else would believe in, and we start to walk as new creations in Jesus Christ, the whole playing field changes. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Now, I love what's going on here because it's describing for us this, what we would call probably in theological terms, this positional sanctification. When you and I are in Christ and there's something that's going on in the original language, it's a sound effect. When you or I are in Christ, boom, that sounds permanent to me. Maybe not as thunderous as I would like in my wimpy little voice. Let's try this again. When you are in Christ, boom. Sorry, I didn't warn Ron that I was going to do that. Hopefully I didn't blow a speaker or something. (laughs) I got to exert myself once in a while. When we are in Christ, positional, placed in, put in. And the scripture says that if anyone is in Christ, no one can pluck him out of his hand. I mean, try to wrestle something out of God's grip, right? So when we are in Christ, there's this positional um, sanctification, which is this this holiness, this this cleanliness, this purging of washing away our sins. It's 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 really what happens when we see this play out in adoption uh, matters. When when families seek to adopt a child or when a, a child has been adopted, some of you have been through that process either as the adopter or the adoptee. And all the things that you've got to work out to, to find that child, to secure that child, to bring that child home, all the effort that's involved in there, and then that, that parental uh, possession, that parental love, and that wrapping of the arms around, you are my kid. I know you won't feel like this every day. I know that you can't really believe what I'm saying because I have maybe other children by blood. And you're like, there's no way. I'm an add-on or any of those things, but the parent is like, how do I communicate to you that you're mine, that you're here? Positionally, you, you are in this family. Boom. You can't go away. You can't, we won't let you go even if you wanted to. 
And you see the, the dynamic of, of, of all that play out and you see the realization start to grow in a child's mind of, of finding that security over time that they really mean it. You know, maybe the behavioral issues are there or something like that, but the, but the family is like, no, you're staying. We're not letting you go. It gives us a picture of this is what God does for us when he says, when you were born in your flesh, it was like you were, you were in this pen, this corral. I picture like those, those horse fences that are in those farms and stuff. And you're just there. That's the only life you know. God says, I'm taking you out of that and I'm putting you over here. You want to go back there sometimes. You remember what you consider sometimes to be the good old days. But positionally, I've put you over here. It's going to take some time to realize what here is. But you're here. This is that positional um, sanctification, this positional placement that God gives us. This is who we are in Christ. So when we are there, now as the adoption process goes on, we start to learn new customs. We start to learn new bedtimes. I have to get familiar with my new arrangement. It's going to take me some, a while to work some of the kinks out. I'm going to have some some personality conflicts with the other members of my family and stuff. This adoption thing sometimes can feel quite messy. And sometimes new Christians or people that 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 have prayed, God put me, boom, in Christ... Why do I still act like I'm living in the pen? That it takes time. That it takes a while to accustom. That now you've been given new resources. Now you've been given new power in order to move forward in this family. But it's still going to be awkward for a while. Those of us that have been in the faith for decades, it's still awkward. Amen. It doesn't come easy every single day. And so that would be what we would call progressive sanctification. It's my holiness now needs to be worked out, that it needs to be practiced, that it needs to be developed. These things don't happen uh, on cruise control, that our newness in Christ is something that gets exercised over time through through success, through struggle, through failure, through forgiveness and repentance. These things don't happen on cruise control. I, I like how he, Paul said it to, for us in uh, chapter four when we were there. He said so in verse 16, so we don't lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. We grow towards this. But we have responsibilities. We've been taken out of that pen of only having the resources of the flesh and we've now been given the resources of the spirit. We can now see the world as Jesus sees it. We've been given the power and the resources to now do that, but we have to do our part to remain available and obedient to him. I like how Paul puts it in in the first letter he sent to the Corinthian church. Chapter 9, verse 27, he says, I discipline my body. Some of your translations would say, I beat my body and keep it in subjection, or I keep it under control. Paul's not walking around flogging himself to try to prove that he's holy to God or any of those kinds of things. He's saying, it matters to me so much to not go back and act like I was living in the pen that I am going to do whatever I can to keep the natural inclinations of my body to want to walk back there, to stay back over here saying, you don't have to do this anymore. You've been adopted. You've been set free. That's not your life anymore. Just do whatever you can to. And this is what I like about the language of our verse in verse 17. He says, the old has passed away. There's also an element there that we're starving it. That the old is, is kind of wasting away and it's, it's choking and dying over there because we're not giving it any attention. It's, it takes an active participation on the part of us as children of God who are no longer children of wrath 
to willingly walk away from the old man. I almost titled this message, Let the Old Man Die. I thought that would be a little controversial. But that's kind of what's going on in Scripture. He's already dead. Stop trying to feed him a sandwich. I like how Charles Stanley put this. I heard this years ago, and he's like, when he was talking, he was teaching on that you can't, you, when we're dead in our, to sin, when we're no longer tempted because we're, we're dead to it. He said, it's like, go up to a casket and say, hey, buddy, you want to make a million bucks? It doesn't matter to him. There's no form of temptation you can give the dead man. And yet we're trying to feed him a sandwich. We're trying to get him to come back to life sometimes. This doesn't happen on cruise control. Well, this week has been uh, a week of really uh, an opportunity of sharing the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as we said, it's been going in so many different directions, so many tentacles, if you will, of the outreach of, of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But sometimes it's important to just bring this back to home and say, what about you? Do you walk in newness of life? Do you, for some of you, you can recall a time where someone presented a message of salvation. They, they made it clear to you that you were born in your sins, that you were born in your flesh. You had no resources other than that which you were born with, and they were limited and empty and hopeless, that your sins were an offense to a holy God. And someone presented to you that in order to pay for those sins, that that God sent his only son, he was going to walk this earth, live this life to be the perfect substitution for you and for me. And as they explained that to you, they said, all you need to do is to call on the Lord Jesus Christ to save you, to wash you clean of your sins, to repent, which is, is just to say, I want to turn from those. I don't want to be that person anymore. I really want you to guide and direct and be the Lord in my life. I'm going to, I'm going to give that up and start following you, Lord Jesus. Somebody presented that to you maybe somewhere along the road and you responded. You might know the date. You might know the circumstances. You might remember some of the words you even prayed. Some of you, maybe it isn't so clear. Maybe some of you have, have said, no, I know I've come to a place of trusting in Jesus. I know that he lives in my heart, but, but I don't remember the exact date. You see, we come to the Lord a little bit different ways, but we all come through Jesus and only Jesus. And there might be some of you in here this morning that are saying, you know, this newness of life, this positionally boom, being in Christ, I don't think I've had that experience. I don't know what to look for. I don't know what to expect. All I know is that I don't want to be guilty of how Nicodemus was seeing things. I don't want to just hopefully add a little Jesus into my life thinking that's going to clean me up or or maybe I can add some religion and still go about my way. I know I need to be born again. I know I need to be saved from myself and from an eternity in hell that awaits me. Maybe that's you this morning and, and maybe we need to as a church kind of encourage you to seek the Lord out this morning and, and find Him while His voice is, is whispering to you. Uh, one of my favorite songwriters, Andrew Peterson, writes this in a song called All Things New. Come broken and weary, come battered and bruised. My Jesus makes all things new. Come lost and abandoned, come blown by the wind. He'll bring you back home again. Come frozen with shame, come burning with guilt. My Jesus, he loves you still. The world was good. The world is fallen. The world will be redeemed. Oh, hold on to the promise. The stories are true that Jesus makes all things new. 
The dawn is upon you. Rise up, O you sleeper awake. The light of the dawn is upon you. Rise up, O you sleeper awake. He makes all things new. Amen? He makes all things new. This morning, I'm going to ask you to do something we don't normally do. Uh, There is a time and place for everything, and I think this might be the time or place. I'm going to ask you all, if you would, to just bow your heads, and we're going to pray together. This is an opportunity for you who may not be in Christ. For those of you that might say, I don't know that if I'm, if I've ever been in a position where I have recognized and acknowledged my sin and I'm hearing the voice of the Lord talk to me this morning about just receiving the payment of that sin, to asking the Lord to forgive me of all my uncleanliness and my righteous, unrighteousness. I want to be in Christ this morning. Maybe you need some help with that. The Lord's not all uh, focused on the exact right words. We don't have to pray in these and thous. He wants our hearts to cry out to them, him, Lord, save me. But maybe you need help with that prayer this morning. Maybe you'd pray with me uh, this way. Lord Jesus, I do acknowledge that I've been born in the flesh. I do acknowledge that I have yet to be born in the spirit. And I know what stands between me and that is my sin. I thank you, Lord, that you have given me your son, that you've paid for my sins, that you've lived the life that I could not live. So I receive that life. I receive it with its payment. I receive it with its forgiveness. I receive it with its security. I receive it with its promise that I'll be with you one day. Lord, help me to follow your lead. Lord, help me to surrender my life to your call to no longer be the captain of my own ship. Lord, I just ask you to make me born again. Place me in Christ. It's where I want to be. Amen. This morning, there were people all over this room praying for you. We've been praying for you for weeks and months and years. That if you found the Lord Jesus this morning, if that has been your experience now and you want to share it with somebody, it needs to be shared. Don't just contain it. Don't just keep it. Don't just keep it as a private little possession. Share it. We'd love to hear. Come see me. Come see any of our elders. Jeff, hey, wave your hand back there. If you like seeing guys with crazy white hair, that's Jeff back there. Ron, any of these? Mike, anybody? Come let us know that today was the day of your salvation. Today was the day that you have been placed in Christ. And we'll help you from there. Family of faith, I appreciate your patience with us. Thank you for your prayers this week. Why don't we stand and uh, we'll be dismissed in prayer. Lord God, we thank you so much, Lord, for what you do in our midst. Thank you for using us as instruments of righteousness. Our feeble attempts, Lord, to represent you and be a, 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 a promotion of your glory. Lord, we don't deserve it. So we thank you, Lord, for just putting us in a place to be your vessels. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you.